Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for March 26th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we talked to rice agronomist Jared Hartke about the outlook for this year's crop and what the current crisis means for farmers. We also talked to ag economist Scott Stiles about the impact of rains and the pandemic on agriculture and markets. Finally, we catch up with Andy Shaw of Cypress Valley Meat Company to learn more about the company and how they're going about their work in the current environment. First, Ken Moore spoke with Extension Rice Agronomist Jared Hartke. Hartke talks about the challenges crop farmers are facing because of coronavirus concerns, and he discusses the outlook for the 2020 rice crop in the state. I'm Ken Moore. Today, I'm uh, visiting with Jared Hartke once again, and uh, uh, Jared is the Extension Rice Agronomist for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Uh, And Jared, uh, hard to believe we're right on top of planting season right now. Uh, We're about to hit the uh, latter part of March and, uh, you know, growers are getting ready to get in the fields once the weather allows. But before we get into uh, the rice crop and the outlook for rice here this year, talk about how uh, uh, this environment that everyone is living in right now in light of the uh, COVID-19 concerns, uh, social distancing and all, I know you're like us. We have we've been working from home for the last uh, couple of weeks now, and I know that you, uh, with the university, uh, are doing the same thing. You normally have a number of uh, in-person meetings uh, with the growers before uh, the planting season begins. But how is how are you having to adjust to this new environment? Well, in in some ways, we were certainly fortunate that, that the majority of our in-person meetings were in January and February before we reached the current situation that we're in now. But really around this time, as everyone's trying to get ready, we're in a, I guess I'll say a typical year, we're moving around a lot more, uh, you know, visiting farm situations in person with some growers, trying to get things lined out, answer their questions, maybe some small group meetings. Uh, to answer questions that have that have popped up really since the winter meeting, things like that, get, getting direction. And now we're we're definitely we're operating uh, very minimalistic, uh, telecommuting as much as possible, and and beginning to rely much more on uh, phone call and text. We, we do that a lot anyway, certainly, but now that's really the avenue that that we're utilizing and. A lot of the other potential interactions we would have now we're talking about more online meetings, what you know, whatever software you choose, you know, a, a Zoom type meeting or Skype or something like that. We're we're setting up to do those for events where we would normally have the, these in person events going forward or, or meetings with people, and so it's just a complete gear shift at our level as well because we're just practicing again the 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 social distancing and and staying away from everybody and interacting so uh, it's very much a mindset change and trying to look at more opportunities to provide even more content through uh, blog posts podcasts just other email uh, send outs and social media you know twitter facebook and, and trying to focus on how we move forward with greater efforts in those arenas rather than being able to, to go to, to sites and locations to work with growers on problems because we're, we're going to be extremely limited here going forward and how much we can do and accomplish with that, which is disappointing. We like to be more hands-on and in-person with, with a lot of these activities and efforts, and obviously we're, we're just not there and uh, the the growers and retailers and everyone else are experiencing similar difficulties interacting with growers and and trying to get things done much more of a call and tell us what you need approach but you can't come in the office and that's again that's true for us and and growers and their retailers and who they're, they're they need to get things from so it's very interesting times right now trying to make progress well you've kind of uh went on into what I was going to ask you next was uh which would have been what type of challenges does this present to our rice farmers and other crop farmers 
in dealing with the people that they need to deal with on a daily basis. Well, yeah, I did. I touched on that just a little. So it is, again, the the lack of the in-person communication to sit down and and hash things out in terms of what they need and when they need it, Uh, moving more to to phone and, and text and email to communicate and Really beyond that, I guess some of the the additional concern moving forward that I think is very much unwritten so far is what limitations there may be on on accessing the things that we need as we start to truly get into the season. Getting your seed when you need it, getting your fertilizer when you need it, all those things. So far, it doesn't seem like there will necessarily be a major issue with those, though the the timetable may drag a little, again, based on how we're going to have to operate and communicate to make those things happen. So so it may you know drag things out just a little, but so far, not really aware of, uh, you know, product limitations as far as getting things in hand with how we're at least currently still able to to move around and and take deliveries of product and things like that. It's just going to be a little slower making them happen. Let's transition now to the rice drop for this year. Uh, If you will, here we go again, Jared. Uh, Compare the first three months of this year, if you will, with the weather, the rainfall, to uh, what our rice growers experienced in 2019. Is it deja vu all over again? That that's honestly what it feels like, and that's kind of the situation I've been in. We we have some some high spots and ridges and, and areas where we have over the past couple of weeks been able to in between rainfalls get a little bit of field preparation done. Uh, those those situations again have been extremely limited, and some of those areas out there that if you were driving by, you may think, well, well, that area looks like there. A little bit ahead, you know, you know, whenever it clears off, they ought to be able to plant. But keep in mind, some of those fields are very likely fields that were prevented planted in 2019. Uh, and they, so they actually got prepared late last summer uh, and, and not any time really since that, that they've had an opportunity to get back in there. And to my knowledge, we've while we've had a little bit of ground prepared, we, to my knowledge, again, had, had no rice planted so far. And as we find ourselves here at the at the very end of March, this is when we hope to begin starting getting some rice in the ground for, for our maximum yield potential. So we're already staring at, at not being able to do that. And again, staring back at 2019, once again, the upside, I guess, is the long-term forecast for the remainder of the spring points toward higher temperatures. I don't think we can as much guarantee what's going to happen with the frequency or amounts of rainfall, which may or may not be that different than last year, but if we can at least get some warmer temperatures early, we can we can get rid of a lot of that moisture a lot quicker should it happen. So that that's really what I'm kind of keeping my fingers crossed for that will hopefully make 2020 different than 2019. But again, so far, it really has just felt like another repeat of of the previous year. So we'll just kind of see what we're able to accomplish going forward. But every time we get drug out in trying to plant our rice and corn, that drags out how early we can then turn around and try to follow it with planting soybeans that we typically transition to after. So Later planting dates for rice and corn generally can have some some yield drag. The later we continue to plant, the same is true for soybeans. So one one issue kind of leads to an additional issue with you know kind of across crops. So we're you know starting to get to that point where we need a break here pretty soon, and I think we're technically in the middle of a small break for a few days. And if we could just you know, up and miss one that's forecast for this weekend, I think we'd suddenly see a lot break loose in terms of some some planning and further field preparation. But certain areas of the state, you know, received, what, a few inches of rain just again the other night. And uh, you could step out into areas that, I mean, they're just uh, just saturated and, and, and nasty. Uh, getting them dried out is, is no short order. We need a little sunshine and a little wind. 
in order to make that happen. So no, no real great idea now, but I feel like we're in roughly the exact same spot right now that we were a year ago, which is not one we want to be in. No, sir. Uh, based on planting intentions and the effect of uh, the uh, national economy, if you will, on commodity markets, uh, what type of uh, acreage and uh, have you heard from? What are we expecting as far as our rice uh, planted acres this year? Well, rice planted acres as of right now are potentially headed to the moon. And that's certainly as far as the <laughs> overall industry uh, goes and ultimately prices is, is not an ideal scenario. But when you start looking at, at prices of rotational commodities, primarily for us corn and soybean uh, with rice, that's what it looks like. I've been projecting just based on what happened in 2019 plus you know with prevented planning uh, for so many acres and then kind of what's happened through the winter you know I've been projecting around 1.5 million acres of rice but with everything that's happened since with prices and, and other things it kind of looks like 1.5 million will be the low end of the estimate now that's all assuming we get the wind and planning opportunity to get it in, like always, which is what we found in 2019 when we intended to plant far more acres than what we actually got in the ground. And, and that will be a question mark like every year, whether or not we can get there. But I think saying 1.5 million as an intention is an, is an easy bottom line at this point and will potentially be much higher than that, uh, the highest that we've seen in, in quite a number of years. And I certainly hope we don't flirt with the record number of acres of 2010. But if we don't get a little more competition from some other commodities pretty soon, it may not be that far out of the realm of possibility. And what happens if we do flirt with that record number of acres? That's not a good thing? Well, price generally responds. <laughs> and we... Uh, when we go that far, uh, generally we're we're going to see a negative price response, especially if we again if we successfully get that much rice in the ground, you can again expect a, a very large amount of supply coming in starting in in August. So you know will generally lead to uh, a downward trend in in futures prices for the fall. Now. To go along with that, having said that, that that's easy to, to say, and, and in theory, looking over time, that is generally what happens. But there are a lot of interesting things going on in not just the domestic, but also the world rice market right now. And again, a lot of this has to do with that, with the COVID-19 issue and everything around the world of, of folks taking stock of, of their current supplies and how much they're going to continue exporting out of other countries. And, and that's going to begin to, and, and again, even our domestic consumption things are, are increasing as people are, are purchasing more food uh, to cook and stay at home and, and those things. So how much more is, you know, is our current demand of, of rice we have on hand going up that's going to drive down our existing stocks? And how much more might we be in play in, in some additional export markets as a result from others not exporting as much? Situation is extremely fluid with everything that's going on. So I can generalize that that's what happens when acres go up that high. But there's so much going on, uh, it it may not necessarily do so. We may we may exhaust uh, a lot of the markets earlier, and there may be increased demand that keep prices propped up. It's just so difficult. To, to figure out right now from a world market influence standpoint. And I know that the bean prices are not good at all right now. And uh, so bean growers, <laughs> growers are looking at alternatives and, uh, and that may lead them to plant more corn and rice and, and even cotton. Although I attended a few of your uh, cotton meetings uh, back in February and, and people were feeling pretty good back in mid-February, but now I've, you know, learned just recently that uh, that cotton price has fallen off since then, since they booked the crop. So, who knows? It's very low. Yeah, 
cotton price is very low. Corn is less than ideal, but will still be in play. Uh, but the soybean price situation is is currently very underwhelming when we're when we're sub nine dollar uh, cash price and we're well sub nine dollar cash for soybeans right now. That that gets very difficult to pencil out. So yeah, everybody's looking for a direction to turn, and that's where the the direction of rice kind of keeps coming up right now and that's where a lot of that expectation is toward a again given the opportunity uh, a pretty high number of rice acres and adding to that would be some of the yield success that growers saw in 2019 even with some very late planted rice some of the yields that they were able to achieve that that surprised many but I will throw in a reminder uh, caveat to that is one of the two, two, arguably the two major reasons we were able to get away with how late we planted a lot of rice and the yields that went along with it were the fact that the year overall temperature-wise and conditions stayed extremely mild and, and very near optimum for rice growth and development. And then on the very back end, we got that late summer in the, the end of August, early September, that was extremely warm and sunny and dry and was very conducive to making a lot of rice late that we didn't expect to make at all, where we would normally have seen, you know, falling off temperatures and, and wouldn't have pollinated and filled as many grains as we were fortunate to do in 2019, that if we have a warmer year that then follows that general we'll say normal, I don't know what normal is anymore, but more normal, more average decline on the back end, and then that later planted rice has a has a better tendency to fall on off in terms of yield potential. So that's that's not always a guarantee, but there may be some existing expectation off of what happened in nineteen that if we get pushed later and band out uh, to get acres in the ground that that they'll achieve similar yields late to what they did in 19, and that's that's not necessarily going to happen. There's a there's a lot of question mark out there. Still, may be the best option, even with uh, even with yield declines from that compared to other options. But that shouldn't be the expectation to make some of those yields very late that we did. Well, let's just hope that Mother Nature will cooperate here over the next month. And our growers will allow, and it'll allow their fields to dry out, and, and they can get those planters in the field. And we'll see a lot of planters rolling here, hopefully sooner than later, because uh, we just don't want to. I remember last year there was a lot of, like you said, uh, prevented planting acres that just laid out. Others they had to plant the crop more than one time. At least they did with corn. I know that, and uh, that's never a good thing. Definitely those kind of climate outlook models are are pretty accurate, but again, they're they're accurate over you know a couple three month period. That doesn't mean they can't be seemingly slightly wrong for periods within there. But the over the overall average is true. We should should certainly get a, a better run than we did in 2019, and then that's what I'm looking for getting everybody geared up. To, to make that happen as soon as it the, the window opens. And the majority are. The majority have every bit of equipment serviced and ready to go. They're just waiting on that opportunity to, to take off run. Well, Jared, we'll speak to you again here in a couple of months and uh, see where we are here once we get into the month of May. And uh, hopefully we'll have some good news to report. I certainly hope so. Thank you, Ken. Been speaking with Jared Hardkey, Extension Rice Agronomist, with the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture on this edition of AgCast. Next, Ken talks to Scott Stiles, University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture Extension Economist, about how the coronavirus pandemic and persistent rainfalls affecting commodity markets and crop planning decisions for farmers. I'm Ken Moore, speaking today with Scott Stiles. Scott is an Extension Ag Economist for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. And Scott, uh, you work very closely with our farmers and ranchers across the state of Arkansas, in particular our row crop producers, in your position there with the Division of Agriculture. Number one, what's it like for you uh, and your colleagues 
in this environment that we're all now in, kind of having been told you can no longer conduct in-person meetings as you normally do every spring with our uh, producers, you're having to do that uh, online or in some other capacity. What's it, what's it like for you guys there with the Division of Agriculture? Well, you know, at this point, we're like a lot of a lot of businesses around the world and around the country. We're we're telecommuting right now, so we're adjusting to life uh, doing Zoom meetings, <laughs> trying to transition from from a life of in person and face to face discussion to uh, to uh, seeing how many of those meetings could have actually been emails. <laughs> so that's we're we're discovering that now. So we're. Uh, getting acquainted with um, how to how to uh, communicate uh, via the internet more, and um, of course, I think we've all all uh, always through for the last several years communicated a lot with farmers by way of cell phones. So we still do that a lot, but but uh, these uh, large face to face gatherings and meetings that we might be conducting in the spring or are not happening right now. So uh, we're uh, using the technology available and, and adapting to the situation. Are you finding that uh, you're reaching fewer producers as a result? You might uh, have a crowd of 30 or 40 in a face-to-face meeting on a, in a county office, but uh, are, you, are you reaching fewer farmers because they're just so busy on the farm they don't have time to go online? Well, we're, we're just reaching them by different means at this point, and uh, Investing more by uh, cell cell phone or FaceTime, uh, for example, or Zoom sessions, and uh, and and doing that. So uh, it's just um, we're just adapting and and uh, trying to trying to work around uh, situations where there's where you know we'd normally have a face to face meeting, and it's affecting everything. And, you know, I've gotten uh, messages from auctioneers. Uh, over the past week that are saying, you know, we've got to observe and abide by the social distancing guidelines. And and so it's a tough time uh, to have a, uh, uh, an ag equipment auction, for example, uh, uh, because of the uh, coronavirus. And so you, you've gone to a system where you'd have a large public gathering at an auction to... Uh, uh, um, a uh, an auction that's that's driven more by online bidding, for example, and uh, so that's um, something that's um, different and, and an adjustment for the times. But um, I did hear uh, one input supplier mention yesterday that uh, you know if we have one person in our office uh, gets coronavirus and we have to shut down, and so I. You know, you can foresee some issues. Uh, let's say we get, we do get a, a break in the weather. We get started planting, and, and what if your dealership where you prepaid your your seed and chemicals? What if they have to shut down? Um, so there could be some uh, some issues possibly with that. Uh, we just keep our fingers crossed that everybody stays well and and uh, can support our growers through the busiest. One of the busiest times of the year. Uh, the on the issue of the H two A situation, that's uh, I hear from growers that's a that's a problem. They we uh, get a number of of uh, seasonal or migrant farm workers from South Africa and Romania, and uh, the South African consulate is is. Uh, uh, the, the workers from South Africa are in limbo because of the South African consulates debating whether to to, uh, to ban travel from there. So we've got uh, some growers that don't have their uh, their uh, labor force from South Africa, and then and then back um, on March 11th, the U.S. banned passenger travel from Europe. So if your uh, your Romanian labor force is not not in the country, uh, wasn't in the country prior to then, then um, that could create a situation for growers. So um, a lot of of issues out there in play uh, that are affecting our growers. And so uh, I I would hate to, as a producer, I would hate to... (laughs) to take a plan B if I couldn't get my my uh, 
my labor force from, you know, my international labor force that I'd come to rely on the last several years, well then, goodness, uh, okay, what is plan B and, uh, uh, and, and terms of replacing them? Well, is this a time when they may try to reach out and advertise for domestic labor from their neighbors? Uh, back in the day, that back at, you know thirty years ago or so, that was not a difficult thing to do. We weren't so dependent on uh, migrant labor, but now uh, people are looking for a paycheck. Yep, yep. I saw that uh, this morning in the in the macro economy, there was two hundred eighty thousand jobless claims. Uh, so. Um, some sectors certainly are downsizing, laying off people, so there may be an opportunity there to to just move labor from one from one sector to another. Um, so that's I think farmers have to give that some consideration. Let's look at the farm economy right now. We're kind of on the outset of this. I mean, it's affecting economies all over the world. How is this starting to affect the farm economy, Scott? Well, in, in Wuhan, and well, it's actually Hubei province where Wuhan's uh, located. That's that, that's a major area of phosphate production for China. It's about uh, 30 percent, 30, uh, thirty to forty percent of their phosphate production is in that one province. So when that area was quarantined um, and there was no traffic in or out of that area, then you began to see some firmness in the phosphate market at that point in time. And that really started toward the end of, end of December 2019. So that phosphate had trended down for most of the past year. And then once the the, the coronavirus issue started to surface in China, you saw that some firmness began in the, in, um, in the phosphate market. Uh, there's, you know, certainly concern um, about how the supply chain of chemicals is going to be interrupted. Um, you know, the, the input supply business has fairly long lead times of, of a few months, and, and I would say that the input supply situation is, is okay for the spring, and um, I think we're okay. I think where we may see some issues surface would be in the second half of the year. So um, growers should, should probably give some thought to, well, what chemicals might I need in, in July, August, September around that time? And that's when the supply chain interruptions will, will surface, will be be in the back half of the year. But, but right now... Uh, there's not any real concerns about chemical shortage and that type of thing, but I'll say this, that the, the fact that the weather hasn't permitted us to do a lot either, you know, maybe masking some potential problems. But but um, but right now, I'd, I'd say that, you know, the, the, the fertilizer, the chemical supply chain is, is there. It's, it's, it, we're okay for the spring. Later, it's, it's iffy. And I say later, I mean from July back to the, you know, toward the end of the growing season. What about commodity markets, to uh, your knowledge? Is it starting to uh, have an effect? People are really concerned about what's happening on Wall Street and uh, stimulus uh, uh, payments are being, uh, you know, approved by Congress, I believe, right now to try to help unemployed people. But as far as that transitions to uh, commodity markets. Right. Well, that's a key thing on growers' minds, really two things, weather, uh, top of mind, and, and of course the commodity commodity markets, and at this point, uh, you know, really the only two crops uh, that growers would be excited about planting at this at this point would be rice and, and peanuts, and, you know, peanuts are such a small, it's almost a niche, really, for the state. I mean, you know, we, we'll have 35, 40,000 acres of peanuts in Arkansas, so it's not, it's, it's small when you compare it to crops like soybeans or rice, but, but, uh, rice, uh, the rice market has been really resilient through this, um, uh, coronavirus, uh, the dominance in the news and, and I'm, uh, you know, I, I think you can look down the road and say that growers will try to expand in the rice as much as they, as they possibly can this year. Um, just simply because that market has held up, held up better than any other rest. Um, but, um, 
looking, uh, you know, based on yesterday's settlements, uh, corn, uh, cotton, soybeans, all you know, three of those crops are down, you know, percentage-wise, 14 to 18 percent from where they were at the start of the year, and uh, not uh, not anything really to get excited about. I think one time, you know, beans were trading around eight new crop, you know, November beans around 840 yesterday. Um, and just, um, um, you know, not, <laughs> not prices that excite anybody. Corn at 350, uh, cotton at 58 yesterday is a little bit lower, uh, uh, today. So, um, it is, it's very difficult for growers to, uh, to get excited when they're facing, you know, looking at a loss based on, on those prices, uh, for their, corn cotton and soybeans i've been talking to some cotton growers earlier uh back in february in the first part of this month there have been a couple of brand new gins built actually constructed one in deshade county i believe one maybe in white county anticipating higher cotton acreage and uh, the need for ginning capacity cotton growers are feeling pretty good the last uh, year or two but now you say you know those all three of those commodities are taking a hit they, they are, and, and um, December cotton, as we speak, is trading at fifty-five seventy-seven. So um, that's you know we've we've gone from we've seen December cotton trade as high as seventy-three uh, back at the you know in January, and so you see how far we've fallen from seventy-three to fifty-five. You know over the course of a couple of months, and that. Is a you know that is a game changing price change that uh, we thought we know we may keep cotton acres stable, but at this point, um, uh, people are going to try to shift as many you know cotton. Well, I don't know what a good alternative is. If they can span uh, rice acres, they probably you know you see growers probably move move as many acres over in the rice as they possibly can. Let's talk about the weather, too, the weather impacts. I mean, is this kind of a replication of what we were going through uh, this time last year where farmers are just having to be forced to wait just to get out into the field? It, it is. It seems like it's been raining since the fall of 2018 almost. But um, it, that's, you know, NAS uh, put out their first crop progress report um, Monday, and but it didn't, didn't indicate any corn had been planted. And there has been a little bit planted in the southern part of the state, but I think the big story in the NAS uh, report was the rainfall totals that they include in that. And the average um, for the state over the past four weeks was a, a cumulative total of over four inches of rain. So that's kept growers sidelined. But growers tell me, hey, I've got the, you know, we're on the, we're sitting on the turn rows just waiting for the fields to dry up and. And, uh, you know, they'd like to get, you know, they'd, of course they'd love to be planting corn right now uh, for those that, that uh, you know, intend to, to intend to do that. And we've had some opportunities to price, you know, new crop corn at $4, and I think a lot of growers, lock, you know, saw an opportunity there and locked it in. They want to get uh, want to get corn in the ground as soon as they can. But, but there are just very few acres uh, of corn planted uh and what has been planted is in the extreme southern parts of the state. Um, there was a little bit of field work happening yesterday around Lake Village and uh, that that area yesterday. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's just not enough. You know, it's 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 uh, you know, NAS didn't indicate any you know corn planted Monday, um, but um, it's just been too wet. And, uh, and growers have gotten some chemicals out. There's been some, you know, as far as any significant money spent, I mean, growers had a few narrow windows there to apply some burn down. So there's been some, uh, some of that done, but uh, hardly any planning. Well, we know what happened uh, last year. Many uh, corn growers and, and others had to uh, plant a second crop just to get a stand because they'd get one crop planted and that uh, get flooded out. Right. So, uh, what do you do in that case? You know, if, if beans are, are trading at 840 yesterday, I mean, where do you turn? And that, that's the question on everybody's mind is this, this, 
number one in, in this price environment. Here it is, the time to start planting. What do you plant? If, if you miss the window of opportunity to plant corn, then what do you turn to? Uh, cotton, as we talked about, at 55 and teens at 840, what do you do? And uh, that's the million-dollar question right now. Scott, on a positive note, one thing that uh, consumers and farmers and ranchers have been noting are much lower fuel prices. For consumers and farmers and ranchers, the price of fuel is is much lower. Right. Well, you know, we, we continue to see energy prices down. At one point uh, yesterday, you know, crude traded uh, $20 a barrel. That's the lowest We've seen that in, in 18 years, and, and um, so we're also, we're, along with, with lower crude, we're also seeing lower fuel prices, and, and uh, some uh, dealers around the state mentioned yesterday farm diesel prices at $1.40 a gallon, so that that has certainly been a, a, a plus for growers. We put uh, our budgets together late uh, last November, early early part of December, and at that time we were plugging in a price of, of two fifty a gallon for diesel in our in our budgets. But we're today we're a full dollar ten off of off of that at current prices. So that's one thing growers have taken advantage of is as we saw fuel prices ladder down, they saw growers lock in some of the lowest fuel prices they've seen in some time. And that's been a tremendous savings, especially in rice uh, and cotton budgets. Uh, we've lowered our production costs significantly in those two. But it, but all of them have been been impacted by, uh, positively by, by the lower fuel prices. These are certainly unprecedented times, Scott. And, uh, again, just uh, crystal balling as we wrap this up then, your outlook for the next uh, 30 to 60 days if this thing continues. What would be an encouraging word from you uh, to our listeners uh, to this edition of AgCast uh, about uh, uh, our ability to continue to produce food and fiber? Well, I think, you know, growers have to go into this crop looking long, long term. We do have a trade deal, uh, the phase one aspect of a trade deal with China inked in, in, in January, and that's uh, – of course, obviously, the current situation is is uh, is slowing our 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 trade efforts with China. But uh, I I think if if there's some optimism down the road in terms of improvement in trade with China, it'll probably happen later in the year, like it like it traditionally does for the U.S. Once the South American supplies of commodities are exhausted. Uh, then the China will shift their their uh, import needs to the U.S. So I think that's something that we have to look forward to is is that we'll see some definitely see some improvement in export sales to China later in the year, and uh, that that gives us gives us hope that uh, that uh, we may see some price improvement, but it may be maybe later in in 2020 before we see some trade volumes really begin to ramp up with with China. Thank you, Scott, for your time today. We've been talking to Scott Stiles, an Extension Ag Economist with the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture, on this edition of AgCast. Now, Greg Patterson talks to Andy Shaw of Meat Processing Operations Cypress Valley Meat Company, which has two locations in Arkansas, in Pottsville and Bologna. Shaw talks about the company's operations and what they're doing to cope with the challenges created by the ongoing pandemic. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're talking with Andy Shaw. He is the CEO of Cypress Valley Meat Company. And Andy, how are you doing today? Doing wonderful, Greg. Thank you for having me on. Well, listen, tell our our listeners uh, what Cypress Valley Meat Company does. You've got several operations that are involved. And uh, let us know what you all are doing. Yeah, so we have... Uh multiple locations uh, at Cypress Valley. We have one in Bologna that we do deer processing seasonally. We have a federally inspected facility in Pottsville, Arkansas, that where we uh, custom process large animals. We have a custom exempt facility in Clinton, Arkansas, that does large animals as well. And then we also have natural state processing where we do uh, custom pasture-raised poultry processing um, in Clinton, Arkansas. And we're in um, the finishing stages of opening a, a partnering and opening a new facility uh, with the Rabby family, uh, Rabby family of Mount Vernon, 
and uh, it's going to be five R meets. So we'll we'll be in the next three to four weeks. We'll have that facility opened as well, and we're partnering with them on that. So exciting times. Now, talk in terms of uh, obviously with this COVID nineteen issue that's popped up. Uh, what's going on with meat processing plants, uh, especially yours? Well, most most facilities right now are experiencing a, a, a big lift in, in sales and big lift in processing. You know, there's a um, especially if it's anything retail related, anything in grocery stores, e-commerce sales, direct consumer sales has seen a big influx in business, and we're trying to uh, do our part to uh, uh, make sure we're accommodating our customers to be able to meet those demands. We uh, we're a processing facility, but we are largely a services company. So what we're doing is we're not directly in sales. Uh, we do have a small retail sale uh, counter in in Pottsville, but what we primarily do is we are services. So uh, people bring in their livestock and their poultry to us. We process that according to their uh, specifications and get it back to them so they can take it home to uh, put in their freezers or they can go to farmer markets, river markets, grocery stores, uh, wherever it may be. And so everybody, uh, most of our customers right now have had a, um, a big increase in business, and we're trying to do our best to, to meet that demand and keep them in stock of, uh, of, of products. Now, what's the increase in business uh, coming from? Well, I think that, you know, what we're seeing is there's uh, uh, there's restaurants, unfortunately, that have had to, um, be shut down, and so people are flocking into grocery stores. They're uh, going to some of these uh, local producers, local farmers, and they're trying to source meat from them because, you know, there's been some uh, some empty shelves, um, and there's been a lack of protein that's been available at times. And so um, what's being highlighted right now is the need for local farmers and the need for local processors. That way, when an uh, event like this happens, that you can see that there's uh, still uh, uh, opportunity to source clean proteins. There's still an opportunity to get out and, and feed the family, and I think that uh, uh, with this is really highlighted uh, in an event like this how critical it is uh, for small businesses and, and for local agriculture. I think it's really brought it to the forefront of how uh, incredibly important it is. Now, you have a, a great uh, customer base uh, for folks that actually come in and purchase uh, meat directly from you or they're buying it directly from farmers who get uh, butchering done by y'all. Um, what kind of changes have you all had to make recently? Well, you know, one thing that's really nice in our industry is that some of the things that we do um, being in the in the food business, um, is we daily we're taking apart all our equipment. We're doing a full wash down, a full um, you know sanitation. We're we're going in, we're taking all this equipment apart. We're putting on uh, you know getting it with, hitting it with hot water, uh, degreasers, and then we're coming back and spraying everything, cleaning it up, and sanitizing it. So from an equipment standpoint and a facility standpoint. You know, we have a real advantage there of, of this This equipment is able to be sanitized very easily, very thoroughly, and, and the rooms are set up for that. And so we've added doing that to going even to um, more lengths to address sanitation in our retail area and then like in our break room. So those are the big things that have, that have changed from a sanitation standpoint, but we were already doing a lot of those things anyway. Uh, what we're trying to do now uh, is, is protect the employees. That's, that's our biggest um, challenge and opportunity right now is to make sure that we have a workforce that is healthy and we're doing everything that we can on our side um, to to help them with that. And so what we've done is our locations is we've closed our lobby areas. We are uh, we're still meeting whatever needs they have. We're going out, uh, sending somebody out and uh, and taking them products, doing loadouts, taking cutting instructions, whatever they need. We don't want to compromise customer service at all. But we do want to protect our um, employees from anything that uh, they possible cross contamination or anything that's coming into the facility. We want to be be careful uh, there, and so we've closed our our lobby areas. And then we've done we, we're almost on a daily basis we're communicating with our employees and and trying to uh, encourage them, you know, not only in the environment that they're working in, 
um, when they when they come in every day and clock in. But beyond that, when they go home, you know, making themselves aware and and making sure that they understand, they have to uh, uh, be really really careful um, not to uh, not to expose themselves, not to put themselves to that risk areas. Uh, listen to all the CDC guidelines and. Uh, the, the the recommendations that's coming down from city officials and local officials. We're trying to share that with them, give them all the information that we possibly can, and and you know make make sure that they have access uh, to that information and, and know what they should be doing because you know that's our biggest risk right now is is someone getting sick. So we want to make sure that we uh, we're doing everything we can as a company uh, to to give them the tools to to stay healthy and fit because. Uh, even even beyond this uh, crisis, you know, the, the safety and health of our employees is our number one concern. Now, when I frequent Cypress Valley over in Pottsville, uh, I would normally enter the premises and look at the freezer cases and choose what I wanted and go check out. How are you handling customers now who are uh, wanting to purchase meat from you? Yes, yeah, so we're uh, we're letting them uh, call in, and we're trying to get that ready. We can let them know what we have in stock, and if we're out of anything, we let them know that, so maybe they can substitute. We're taking it out to their vehicles and trying to make sure that we're doing everything that we can, not only for our employees, but also for the customers to limit their exposure as well. And, and we're trying to also, as people call in and are wanting certain things, we have some uh, fantastic uh, farmers that uh, I, you know, we work with hundreds of farmers, and and just the the amount of of product that's available through them, we're trying to make those connections because, um, you know, there's when right now people are um, there's some nervousness, there's there's some uh, people that are out there that are frightened about food right now. I mean, there's nothing that's out there that shows the cross contamination between these uh, fresh meat. And there's there's no correlation that that it's all been transmitted you know airborne or through contact with other infected people. So you know making sure they're aware of that. But but having uh, the assurance and the confidence in the local food supply is key. And I think that uh, right now the uh, people are wanting to know where their food comes from and wanting to source um, from people that are in their own communities. And I think that that's been a trend, but I think it's going to certainly continue. So. To answer your question, we're doing certain things to try to limit that uh, with the people that's coming in and, and trying to accommodate them the best we can, but we're also trying to accommodate them with, with uh, um, some of the farmers that we work with, a lot of farmers we work with, and uh, pass out their information as well. Now, Andy, I talked to a, uh, a beef broker last week who uh, works out of the Oklahoma City National Stockyards, and there seemed to be some concern with the dropping beef prices and particularly what ranchers were getting for calves. Um, are you seeing, seeing any of that pushback in your line of work yet, or is that still on the, on the front end of the pipeline? Yeah, I think it's still on the front end. And, and, and I think the, the, uh, the hard thing to, uh, to try to forecast here is that, you know, we have rules that are that are changing daily. We have uh, recommendations coming down from the elected officials or um, industry experts that, that is seemingly it's changing hourly. And so it's hard to keep up with that. It's hard to uh, forecast exactly what that's going to mean, both in the short term, the midterm, and the long term. And so uh, right now for us, uh, we're just trying to uh, – we haven't seen any decrease um, in uh, any of our supply chain in terms of the farmers bringing us product, and we haven't seen a lot of disruption on our side, but I think that you know, lo looking out, trying to forecast out right now is in incredibly difficult today. Now, I was at a meeting back in May, and uh, y'all's operation came up in the discussion because people were trying to schedule uh, animals to go in you know, and get uh, butchered. If you guys, this is back in May, you guys were, were booking for January of 2020 at the time. Are you still pretty far out in front as far as uh, trying to book book space where people can bring in their animals? Well, un unfortunately, we are. And, and I say unfortunately, it's, you know, we're, we're blessed to have the business. We have uh, the best customers in the world. And we, uh, we're, we're incredibly fortunate to have a, a book that is, 
so robust. But the, the problem is we know that we're not um, a good partner if we don't find a solution in the near future because we're, we're having to book these animals out, in, you know, way in advance. And it, and it creates some challenges for the farmer that we're very aware of. And so uh, we are working on trying to find some interim solutions as well as trying to, to nail down a permanent solution to get into a larger facility and significantly reduce that backlog so that uh, that we can, you know, get a, there's a shorter time between when a farmer calls and when we're able to uh, get him in to get it processed. You know, what, what we look at is uh, we don't think of ourselves as, you know, as a, uh, uh, is it transactionally uh, having transactions impersonal with the, uh, with the farmers. We, we look at it as trying to be a strategic farm, a strategic partner for them and with them. And we want to see their businesses grow. And then we have to grow our facility to be able to accommodate the demand that they're experiencing right now. And, and it's actually came in a little, a little faster than, uh, than what we're able to keep up with. But, uh, we've got some great things on the way. We, we think we're, we're pretty close to nailing down a, a solution that would be able to, uh, to take that backlog down to, uh, a matter of weeks instead of months. So hopefully that's not too far, um, out on the horizon. When you're, uh, when you're working with your, uh, farmer customers, What's a typical, you know, uh, lot of animals that they're bringing in, whether it's hogs or whether it's beef, um, to work on to give kind of a economy of scale to the listener? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, what's unique about us is we have a really diverse uh, customer base. So we have people that bring in um, literally one hog or one beef maybe every other year. And, and then we have people that are bringing in 10, uh, 20 hogs, 30 hogs um, every other week. And, uh, and so we've, we're kind of all over uh, the board on exactly, you know, what, what type of customers, what kind of volume they run through there. It's, uh, and we try to accommodate both the, the large and the small customer and, and do our best to balance that and give them both the, the same uh, equal service. But, you know, rather uh, the customer is wanting to just feed their family or they're looking to get inspected processing to go out and to feed their communities or to go into uh, retail or, you know, uh, in long-term restaurants. If that's what they're trying to do, we try to meet the needs of, of uh, all those different customer bases. Andy, how about uh, for the future of what you're doing? What are some of the plans you have for Cypress Valley? Uh, do you see an increase in um, the smaller uh livestock producer that we just discussed uh, is there is there a burgeoning growth there or what are some of the things that you've got cooking right now for cypress valley yeah i think we're going to stay on the same path and in the same business model that we have right now i think what we want to do is again just try to be that strategic partner uh for the farmer i think that the growth experience and you know we have a lot of a lot of farmers that we work with that are um, exploding right now and I think that uh, what we want to do is just keep up with that demand, keep up with that growth, and do our best to, to be the right partner for them. How about um, you mentioned we were doing some discussions earlier in previous visits, and you guys are doing poultry, too. Um, explain how that's going. Yeah, the poultry processing is um, it's really interesting. There's about 26 poultry processors that process custom poultry uh, for other individuals in the, in the United States. Some of those only do their own processing. So across the United States, there's only around 26 of them. So it's, you know, it's not a lot out there. And, you know, we've just found a little niche. We've got some, we've got some really good anchor customers um, on that and that, that have helped us or enabled us to be able to do that. And we've been able to process for them and, and grow that business. And so, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, we're doing a, a very small amount volume-wise. You know, we'll do in a year what most processors are doing in a week or even in a day. But we're taking those, those birds in and we're bringing in live uh, birds and we're taking them through the entire process. So we're, we're doing the harvesting and we're doing the chilling. We're doing the processing and the packaging and, um, you know, the aggregation is all done at one facility there in Clinton. So it's, it's a pretty unique process. Then you mentioned your uh, uh, processing you do during deer season as well. Has uh, that been robust? 
Yes, it has. It's been really good for us. You know, we try to uh, offer a service there as well. You know, people are using their vacations and they're trying to spend time with family and they want to just take the, uh, the, the deer, they want to drop it off and a lot of times whole and we'll take care of it from there. We'll, we'll uh, process that. We'll make uh, specialty items such as summer sausage or brats or whatever the customer would like and we get it back to them and it's something that they can, uh, not only is it uh, something that they can uh, take off their plate as far as work, but then they have something that they can take back and be proud of that they're feeding their family. So it's, uh, we, we really enjoy that as well. Well, um, you're obviously doing a lot of things to protect your workers, your customers, and whatnot, especially in these times of uh, uncertainty with the COVID-19. Uh, Andy Shaw is the CEO of Cypress Valley Meat Company. And, Andy, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us. Is there anything you'd like to add? Greg, I just want to thank you for allowing me to, to come on and, and speak with you and just want to tell everybody I know these are really um, challenging times and um, there's a lot going on. It's hard to keep up with and it's overwhelming, but I do think that for all the farmers that's out there, I think on the other side of this, there's some real opportunities and I think it's going to create awareness to the industry and, and I think the upside um, is, is uh, really high and I think it's exciting what the future of agriculture is going to be. Well, Andy Shaw, Cypress Valley Meat Company, you obviously provide a much-needed service to our smaller livestock operators. We appreciate you taking time to speak with us today. Lastly, we have a special report from Tuckerman farmer Tommy Young of the Jackson County Farm Bureau, who interviews Zach Graham of Zach's Flying Service in Tuckerman. He talks about how his business is dealing with the virus challenge. Keith Sutton with the Arkansas Farm Bureau has asked local farm bureaus to seek out certain people that are involved in agriculture. Today we have Zach Graham with us. He owns Zach's Flying Service in Turkman, Arkansas. Zach, what do you think about all of this? I think that it's uh, hard times right now across the nation, across Arkansas. Hope that uh, all the uh, families and, and people that are affected by this uh, virus uh, recover soon. Zach, how many acres of cropland do you manage in a normal year with your operation? Uh, this operation here uh, currently manages about 25,000 acres. Uh, have to fly over those acres uh, several times in a year. Uh, so across the board, I would say somewhere in the roundabout figure of 100,000. Do you believe you can effectively continue to provide service under the conditions we're living in now, speaking of the coronavirus for all those acres? I certainly do, um, sure. What steps have you taken to ensure you and your personnel can work and feel comfortable doing so? I've, ta I've uh, implemented uh, extra precautions um, outside of just the general washing your hands and things like that. Uh, we're limited in contact with uh, people as much as possible, staying local here. Are you eating here and kind of taking your own lunches and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, we're uh, eating at home for the most part and uh, just trying to keep uh, things down to a minimum on traveling. Uh, do you believe that your equipment, such as planes and ancillary equipment, such as your auger trucks and stuff like that will be okay? Do you worry about parts that uh, you might be needing throughout this, the, this period of time? What steps have you taken to reassure yourself that you can keep your planes in the air? I've uh, made sure that we have plenty of uh, aviation fuel here. I've been in contact with the local parts stores to make sure that we can keep parts available. Uh, as far as my airplane parts, local uh, places, uh, nearest places in uh, Missouri, I spoke with them to make sure that we have arrangements made on meeting at the uh, state lines uh, to keep uh, travel down again as much as possible. What can farmers do to help you ensure that you can be timely with these applications? Uh, of course, uh, making sure that things are scheduled uh, promptly and uh, for instance, I know that uh, a couple of farmers here in town uh, have a program where uh, they can just send emails over to us out here, uh, keep in contact with them down. I just receive those emails and, and can go to work at the appropriate times. 
Have you instructed the people that's bringing stuff onto your lot to, to do special precautions? Certainly. I've uh, asked that, you know, uh, our fertilized people stay in the trucks, uh, keep in contact down on those, those ends, and uh, yeah. Uh, in general, Zach, what would you like to say to people that might not even have a clue about agriculture, not know a thing about what you do and, and your aviation responsibility toward agriculture, and maybe even to lawmakers that may not have a true understanding, what would you like to tell them about the importance of keeping the supply chain open and your business going? I'd say that uh, farming is crucial to, to keep going. Um, without farmers and the people that are associated with farming, uh, America is going to be in harder times than they are right now. Um, I would say that we uh, certainly need to keep things things moving forward here with with farming and farming industry. We appreciate this interview very much and we wish you the best and hope you stay healthy. Hope your personnel stays healthy and continue to do the things that you do for us here in Jackson County and as for all of the people that do these type of services, we appreciate y'all. Thank you very much for thank, the day. Thank you. That's all for this week. Arkansas AgCast returns next week with the latest news and updates about Arkansas's largest industry.